0: Welcome to the Hope Revolution Messages. You'll be able to find our sermon podcast at hoperevolution.church forward slash sermon, as well as all other podcast players. We hope you enjoy this message. Hi, how are you? Good. Good for those who said good and um, not so good for those who didn't. And for all of you who chose to ignore me, I totally understand. I like to ignore when the preacher asks questions as well. I ask questions as a preacher, and I ignore the preacher when I'm in the congregation. <laughs> and that's just how I roll. Okay, here we are, 2024, new year, new season. One of the things that I, I have noticed over the past little while is the amount that I talk about seasons. I actually saw a, a meme hassling Christians for talking about seasons. I can't remember what the person said, but they were basically going, the next time I hear a pastor talk about seasons, you know. And I don't care (laughs) because the Lord is changing us through seasons. He's developing us through seasons all the time. And he's moving us into a new season. And he moved us at the end of COVID into a new season that was preparation for this new season. And this is what the Lord does he moves us on. And so as I was praying this week and just going backwards and forwards with him, what do, I, what do I bring to you guys? I actually felt like he referred me back to a message that I preached at my church over a year ago. And it was about the season that we were in at the time. But it is also about preparation for the new season that we're walking into. I don't know whether you've heard of a woman named St. Teresa of Avila. She lived a long time ago, well over a thousand years ago, and she was a Catholic nun and was known for her intimacy with the Lord and the way that she would spend time with the Lord. And she wrote a whole host of different things down that she had learned about intimacy with the Lord and being in the presence of the Lord, but she was kind of known as a guru of prayer. And one of the key things that she spoke about and that she's written down for us to find was about the four stages of intimacy in prayer with the Lord. And she actually referred to it as being the watering of a garden. If you kind of think of your own life, your faith journey is a garden and the way that the Lord comes and waters and refreshes the garden through that intimacy that we have with him. And she said there's four stages that you have. And the first one that she talked about was a well. So basically, if you have a garden and you have a well in the garden, then you have a place where you can come to and you can extract the water from it and then water the garden with it. But the thing with a well is that it requires work, right? You have to put the bucket on and you've got to lower it down and then you've got to hoist it up and then you go and you water your garden with that water. And so she said, that's the very outer level. That's where most of us, when we're talking about prayer and intimacy with the Lord, that's where most of us spend our time. If we go, I'm going to spend time with the Lord, we see it as being this go-to and work at it, and then somehow he will bring some sort of refreshing, and then that will refresh our soul. But it's a pranking, you can imagine, yeah? You've got to do it. You've got to go to that place and make an appointment with the Lord in order to extract the water required for the refreshing. So she talked about the well. That was the first one. The second one she talked about was a water wheel. And how a garden, if it has a water wheel, then it's going to have some kind of a water source. And then the water wheel has this continual flow, but it also has to be pumped. The water wheel will stop if it's not pumped, but there is a continual flow that will happen to water the garden with a water wheel that is better and greater than what a well would be. The third one that she spoke about was a running stream. And how in a garden that has a running stream, there is a an irrigation process that happens naturally because the stream runs and so it doesn't require the working and the cranking but nevertheless you still have to go to the to the stream in order to water the whole garden you can't just expect that the stream will do all of the work for you so she talked about that being the third level and the fourth level that she spoke about was rain and she goes ultimately that's what we want to seek the lord for we want to seek the lord for the level where he just simply rains upon us and all it is is we are in his presence all the time and we are able to access the watering of his spirit on our soul all the time without the effort, without having to go and crank and make an appointment and do and all of those kind of things. And I believe that the Lord is wanting to bring us into a place, his people, of rain, at the beginning of last year, I felt like the Lord said to me, I don't want you to
1: come into my presence. Now that's weird, isn't
0: it? He said this, He said, I want you to go out from it. It's a totally different perspective, right? Actually, spend all of your life in the presence of God, live from a place of being in the presence of God, and then go out from that place to minister to people, as opposed to live your life outside the presence of God, do all of your work in your ministry or whatever, and then run into the presence of God for some kind of relief or refreshing, right? So if we're actually talking about St. Teresa of Avila's the way that she spoke about this intimacy, it's the same thing. What it's saying is, Lord, I want to be constantly in your presence. I want for you to be constantly raining upon me so that I don't have to rush to you for refreshing, but it's something that you just do because of the spirit of God in my life, in my world. I'm constantly in that place. It means actually changing our mind and coming to a place where we go, I'm going to go to sleep in his presence. I'm going to wake up in his presence. If I wake up in the middle of the night, I'm going to ask for him to speak to me. He's doing that at the moment. It's crazy. Would you just let me sleep? No. He wakes me up at five o'clock in the morning. And what I would do is I would go normally as I would go, it's five o'clock in the morning, I'm going back to sleep. And I've always just seen it as my own waking issues, right? I don't sleep terribly well. I wake up all through the night. And I actually felt like he said to me, no, I want you to open up your ears and listen." What might I be saying? And then write it down. And that's been a pretty funny exercise, hasn't it, Kelly? I had a dream that I tried to write down in the middle of the night once. And then when I woke up in the morning, it was complete and utter gibberish. I couldn't read a word. <laughs> it was very bad. I sent her a screenshot. Anyway, the point being, we can live in his presence with this constant refreshing if we choose intimacy with him and we choose that pursuit of him. We don't have to live going to and fro. We don't have to live with this idea of, I'm going to come and I'm going to ask him for this, then I'm going to go off and I'm going to do my thing, but rather live surrounded by the presence of God. And so that's kind of our starting place today. But I want for us to have a look. We're going to start in Acts chapter 3. And this is Peter talking to the crowd. And we're going to start at Verse 19. But before we get there, I'm just going to give you a little bit of background. What's happened is Peter and John were going to the temple in their normal time of worship to go and and do their normal worship practice on this one particular day. And there was a man who was at the gate, beautiful. He was uh, crippled and he was calling out and saying, Will you give me some money? And Peter goes, I don't have any silver or gold, but in the name of Jesus, stand up and walk. And so this man walks. And then all of the people are amazed. They're absolutely stunned. And then Peter starts to speak to him and he basically says to them, Well, you silly duffers, like Jesus has been doing this before your eyes for ages. Why would he not now, that the Holy Spirit's been given to us, continue to do that through us? And then he says this in verse 19. He says, Repent then and turn to God that your sins may be wiped out, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord, and that he may send the Christ who has been appointed for you, even Jesus. Interesting. Now, I want you to imagine for a moment who these people were. They were in the temple courts. They were Jewish people. And he's having this conversation with them, boldly proclaiming who Jesus is after healing this guy. But what he's saying to them is, here is the evidence that Jesus has placed his Holy Spirit in us and is still living and working in us. Here is the evidence that the presence of God is with us in a tangible and real way. We healed this guy. It was the Lord that did it, right? Then he says, he was actually the Messiah brought to you and you missed him. And by the way, he was the Messiah brought to you and you killed him. So Peter's pretty bold. And then what does he say? Repent. Repent if you want to see times of refreshing come. Now, if we for a moment imagine the kind of people he's talking to here, he's not talking to a whole lot of people who are living lives of great sin and debauchery, right? He's not talking to people who have lives that we would consider to be the sinners of the world. And yet what he's saying to them is there is a need for repentance in your heart if you want to see refreshing come from the Lord. If you want to be the kind of people who see the Lord working in you, working through you, doing these miraculous things, and if you want to be the kind of people who are going to be a part of seeing the Lord come again, the Lord Jesus come again, which, by the way, we're still waiting for, then you need to repent. So he's coming to godly people, God-fearing people who love the Lord. And when he's talking about refreshing and this new season that they can go into and this hope for the future of a coming king, his first words of advice to them are repent. The Greek word metanoia, change your mind, change the way that you're thinking. Actually turn and start to live for the Lord. Now, Peter is an interesting character here because it was only a few short weeks ago before this incident that he would never, ever have stood in front of a crowd of people like this and said those words. Imagine, right? We're going to jump back to John chapter 21, because what had happened just before this is that Jesus had been crucified. And the night before he was crucified, he said to Peter, you're going to deny me. And Peter goes, no. No. I will never deny you. Peter's been following him for three years. He's one of his closest followers. He's in the tight three, you know, and he's going, I'll never deny you. And Jesus says, you will. By the time that the rooster crows in the morning, you were going to have denied me three times. And Peter goes, no, 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 no. And then he finds himself just a few short hours later, standing outside the house of Caiaphas. And Jesus is inside and there's this absolute train wreck of a trial happening inside. And they're calling him all of this stuff and they're bringing in all of these false witnesses and they're they're trying to pin everything on Jesus. And Peter's out in the courtyard and he's going, I just want to see what's happening. And he's probably trying to stand somewhere near the corner so that no one will notice him. But he gets asked by some people, hang on, aren't you one of his disciples? And he goes, no, no he gets asked again. He's like, no, nah, I've never heard, never heard of him. And then they go, well, you're a Galilean. And he goes, no, no, he's, oh, seriously, I'm not, right? And he denies him three times. And then the rooster crows. And he realizes the man that I pledged my life to, my Lord, the one who I stood in front of and said, you are God. I just denied I knew him to a perfect stranger. And so we find ourselves in John chapter 21, and it says afterward, this is after Jesus had risen from the dead, Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Tiberias, that's the Sea of Galilee. It happened this way, Simon Peter, Thomas, called Didymus, Nathaniel from Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples were together. I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told them. And they said, we'll go with you. So they went out and they got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize that it was Jesus. And he called out to them, friends, haven't you any fish? No, they answered. He said, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. When they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it is the Lord. As soon as Simon Peter heard him say, it is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him for he had taken it off and jumped into the water. The other disciples followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish. They were not far from shore, about a hundred yards. When they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals with fish on it and some bread. Don't you love that? They just caught a whole lot of fish, but Jesus has already got fish on the, (laughs) it's like I got 153 fish for you, but I already have my own, which I think is kind of funny. Jesus said to him, bring some of the fish that you've just caught. And Simon Peter climbed aboard and dragged the net ashore. It was full of large fish, 153, but even with so many, the net was not torn. And Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. None of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? But they knew it was the Lord. And Jesus came, took the bread and gave it to them and did the same with the fish. This was now the third time Jesus appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. And when they'd finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. And Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus had asked him a third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus said, Feed my sheep. I tell you the truth. When you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. And then he said to him, Follow me. Now, this whole story for me is absolutely fascinating because it's this huge turning point for Peter. We see a completely different Peter after this moment than we saw before. What we saw beforehand was this man who was timid. He was frightened. He was fearful of people. He was concerned about what people could do to him, the power of others. He saw Jesus crucified, and he was worried, I'm going to be tainted with that same brush I don't think that I can cope with that. I can follow him, but I can't follow him there. And yet from this moment, what we see is this dramatic change. Yes, Holy Spirit comes at Pentecost and fills them all with power. But Peter becomes somebody who is bold after this point. To the point that he can stand up in front of the Jewish people. And then later on, so we read part from Acts 3 in Acts 4, stand up in front of the Sanhedrin and tell them, hey, guess what? This Jesus is the Messiah. And by the way, you killed him. And you need to repent. You need to be baptized and you need to come to your senses. They are furious at him. They end up putting the disciples in jail. They arrest them. They bring them before them. They say, How dare you? And by the way, we've had a discussion about this and you're not allowed to preach in this man's name again. You know what Peter says to them? He goes, Well, We can listen to God, or we can listen to you. You be the judges to which is better. And then the Sanhedrin are so shocked, they let them go. The difference between this man here in John to the man that we see in Acts is extraordinary. And so I want to know, what is it that Jesus does? I mean, yeah, we can see that he reinstates them. He says, you know, he asks them, do you love me? He does it three times. And we can see that there's a nice link there between the three denials and the three confessions of love. Yeah, it's a reinstatement, but there's something else that's happening here. And it's implicit in the moment in the text. Because Jesus came here in this moment where Peter had come from this resurrection experience in Jerusalem, which, by the way, is three days travel from Galilee. So he'd seen Jesus resurrected, but somehow Peter within himself had gone, I don't deserve to be a part of this movement anymore. I'm going back fishing, and I'm not just going to the local lake, not that there is one. I'm not going to go to the Jordan River. I'm going back to Galilee. I'm going to go three days journey back home to Capernaum. I'm done. I was with this guy for three years. Yes, he was, he was crucified. Yes, he was resurrected. But that doesn't mean that I'm off the hook. I managed to see him after he was resurrected. But I'm disqualified. I'm done.
1: So he's gone. I'm going back to my old life, going back to what I know,
0: going back to my old skill. And I'm just going to start again. The heartbreak in this man's heart, after he has spent three years with Jesus to get to the point where he was, he was so close to him and knew him so well and followed him so closely and then denied him, he went, I'm
1: done. I am disqualified. I'm That's it. And Jesus comes into that moment. And what does he do? He does a miracle that Peter was already familiar with.
0: He repeats the first major miracle that he did with Peter to bring Peter on board. It's found in Luke 5. I'm going to tell it to you rather than reading it. It's one of my favourite stories of the New Testament. Jesus comes one morning. He's, He's preaching to the people on the shore of the Sea of Galilee. Peter and John and James have been out. They've been fishing all night. They've caught nothing. As they come into shore, they're tired. As they come into shore, Jesus says, hey, can I use your boat as a pulpit? Just push me out a little bit, and then I'll preach to people from your boat. So he goes, he pushes them out a little bit. Jesus preaches to the people. Then he finishes his sermon. He dismisses the people, and then he turns around to Peter, and he says, throw your net in again. And Peter's like, dude. I'm sure he didn't say dude. But he's going, like he has been following Jesus for a short time at this point. He's had him do a couple of miracles. But he's there going, listen, you're a builder. You might be a tradie, but you're not a fisherman. That's my job. But out of obedience, he does it. He throws in the net, and there are so many fish that both boats begin to sink. And as they pull these boats into shore, and they have all of these fish that they have caught, you would think at that moment that Peter would go, All right, I've just made the catch of my life. This is awesome. Thank you. I'm going off to the local market. I'm going to sell it. I'm going to become the wealthiest person I know. But he doesn't. He falls down at
1: Jesus' feet and he says, go away from me. I'm a sinful man. And Jesus says, stand up. I'm going to teach you to fish for people. And then he uses this phrase, follow me. Interesting, so the
0: moment that Peter first realised the enormity of who Jesus was, the moment he glimpsed for the first time the wonder of what it was to come across somebody who may actually be the Messiah, the moment he saw in person somebody come into his life, break into his existence and overwhelm him with wonder That was the moment that Peter's heart was captivated. And do you know how long it took him to get dull? Three years. Three years walking side by side with Jesus, watching miracle after miracle. He's raising people from the dead. He's doing these glorious things. Peter's watching it. He's right there. He got to see people raised to life that no one else got to see. He got to see it in person. You know, we often think to ourselves, I don't know whether you do, I do. Oh, but if, if Jesus had skin on, my faith would be so much stronger. He was walking next to me day by day. I want to tell you, no,
1: actually, you're too fickle. So am I.
0: Even if he was walking with skin on right next to us and showing us all of these things, we're still fickle. We still have the ability to become dull. We still have the ability to get to the point in our faith where we would deny him. You know what it's like when you're having a conversation about the Lord and then someone walks past and you just go a bit quiet. And you say to yourself, oh, I don't want to be doing this whole thing in their presence or invading their space, but in reality, it's because you're embarrassed. Because we live in a world that says he's not acceptable and you're not acceptable
1: if you follow him. Aren't you one of his followers? No, never heard of him before. We're all a Peter, right?
0: We all have the temptation to be a Peter. We're all people who come to this place where we accept the Lord. We come on our knees before him. We fall at his feet and we say, you are the most amazing, wondrous person. I have met God and I'm going to give you my life. And then we all go through stages where we start To consider denying him. So, what does Jesus do? He takes Peter back to the beginning
1: in his kindness, in his love. He
0: comes to the same place, the Sea of Galilee, after his resurrection, after he's done the greatest miracle that has ever or will ever be. And he comes to that place, and out of his grace and his goodness, he goes, You know what, Peter? This stage that you've been through, this drought, this dullness that you've found, this familiarity with me that you've found and you've found yourself in a place where you actually feel like you've been disqualified, I want to tell you, you haven't been disqualified, but I'm going to show you how to start again. And how you start is to go back to the beginning and actually fall in wonder and awe. Before my feet, I want to remind you about the beginning of the journey. The very first time that you looked at me, the very first time that you gazed upon me, the very first time that you saw me for who I was. And what was your response? Your response was, Get away from me. I am a sinner. He brings Peter to that point of recognizing his own failing. But then
1: what does he say at the end? Follow me.
0: That's the reinstatement. That's the moment of reinstatement. Yeah, Peter has to confess his love for Jesus three times. He has to go through that process, but it's not until Jesus repeats those words that he said back in Luke chapter 5 to him that Peter knows, I'm not
1: disqualified. He says, follow me.
0: He doesn't just repeat the miracle. He repeats the command and the command is an invitation. The command is saying, you are assigned to be mine and I am going to teach you how to fish for people. It's that same reminder, follow me. And so what we see then as we jump forward after the ascension, after Holy Spirit has been given at Pentecost, is a totally changed Peter because he realises that the invitation is for him even when he fails. And the invitation is for him even after he's become dull. The invitation doesn't expire. Jesus is saying, I asked you to follow me once, and that's continuing on. It doesn't matter what you've done, you are mine. And we don't see Peter another time. We see Peter fail again, but we don't see Peter another time get to a point where he goes, I'm disqualified. I can't do this anymore. Even when he's chastised by Paul. He's back in line, back in the fold, recognizing this is who God has called me to be, and this is what I'm going to do with my life. So, as he stands up in front of the Jewish people and he says to them, Repent, therefore, that times of refreshing will come to you, it's because he has experienced it and he knows what that is like. There is something that the Lord is wanting to do in us, his people. He's been leading us through this for the past couple of years, and it's bringing us to the place of repentance. There's been this weird season, I think, for a couple of decades in the Western church where confession and repentance has kind of been put on the back burner. And we talk about the goodness of God and the grace of God and the presence of God and the glory of God. And we, we go into the blessing of God. We go into that kind of place. All of the good things, you know, that sound all positive. And repentance sounds like one of those negative things. And confession sounds like one of those negative things. Those, you know, it's not rainbows and buttercups. And, and so we push it to the side. But what Peter is actually saying here is that repentance is a
1: gift because it gives us an opportunity to start again.
0: Repentance is a gift from the Lord because we can be cleansed and we can be whole. Repentance is a gift from the Lord because it brings us to newness of life. And it's simply recognizing we will continue to fail. We will continue to become dull. But if we start to get ourselves into a framework and an understanding that the Lord wants us to come and be cleansed by Him daily, And all of a sudden, he's got an opportunity to rain on us so that the refreshing won't just come to us, but his anointing and his authority will go out from us as well. When we got to the end of the COVID season, I (laughs) went through quite a bit of soul searching. I don't know whether you can think back and recognize some of the soul searching you did as well. But one of the things for me was realizing, because I spent so much time chasing after the Lord, because I was in a hole, I was in a deep, dark hole. And I realized that I had been doing ministry, a lot of ministry, for a number of years, just from a really complacent place. You know, if Peter was in that dull place, I was in that dull place. And I had been for a number of years. And when ministry is your work, you know, that's really not a good thing. And it's not a good thing for anybody, but I just became aware of it. And I had to confess it. I had to repent for my complacency and my apathy. And that I was going through the motions and the business of faith because it was business and it was work and it was a paycheck rather than just being living out of a place of adoration for who Jesus is. There was one time a couple of years ago when I had to confess to the Lord and acknowledge to the Lord, that I don't like people anymore. I genuinely got to a point and a place through the COVID stuff of just not liking people. You know, I had a couple that were okay, but the vast majority of people I just didn't like. I don't want to be around people. I don't want to hear from people. And I thought to myself, most people are just idiots. So (laughs) how can you minister to people the goodness of God if you don't like
1: people? What is that? So to confess it. Will you give me a hunger and a heart and a passion for people again? He did. It's repentance, right?
0: A change of mind, change of heart, change of attitude. There's one moment in time when I woke up one morning, I was having my quiet time and the Lord had led me to a message that somebody had preached at another church. And as I listened to it, I felt like he said to me, do you know that you fear people more than you fear me? And you will never, ever be able to live a life of obedience to me so
1: long as you care what people think. And I went, that's true. Because you're always going to defer to other people's opinions than you will to what I'm asking of you. It's fear of man, it's got to go. And
0: I went, whoa, this is too much. Because we're talking about 40 years of habit. We're not just talking about you know, make a change, make a decision. We're talking about 40 years of habit of being intimidated by the opinions of other people and living under that. It's a conditioning, right? And so as I was weeping on my knees before the Lord and crying out to him, I'm saying to him, well, can you train me out of that? And I felt like he said, yeah, I can. And I want to do that. It's repentance, right? coming before the Lord and going, whatever this rot is in my heart, this dullness, whatever that thing is that is within me that is not your Holy Spirit, I want you to deal with it. I need to repent of it. I need to confess it to you because I need for you to take that away so that I can live a life of holiness before you and actually be effective in your name. So the Lord wants to bring us to a place of repentance and seeing it as a gift being able to wake up in the morning and say to him, Lord, what is it today? What's the rot in my heart today? Or as we go to bed at night, thinking about even just asking him the question. I do it in the morning. You could do it at night if you want to, I don't know. But asking him the question, what is it that was in my heart yesterday? What are the emotions that I've been carrying? Is it of you? And if it's not, Lord, I confess it. I get rid of it. I just want to be clean before you. I want to be holy before you so that I can live a life that follows you and is able to be bold in front of people. You know, I'm telling you some of my stuff. You've got your own. I know you have because you're breathing. (laughs) And I'm happy to share it with you. I'm not embarrassed. Why? Because you're lovely, but I choose not to care what you think. (laughs) What is it? What is it within you that needs to be uprooted? What is the rot in your heart that needs to be uprooted so that you can stand boldly and do the things that the Lord is calling you to do. See, Peter had to be led back to that place of wonder and to a place of recognizing this is the man I chose to follow and this is what he's calling me to do. So I'm going to live a life that is clean. I want for him to grab that stuff and uproot it and turn me into a person who is clean and holy and holy before him, to have a life that is continual repentance, continually being cleansed, continual holiness before God so that he can do what he wants to do because he wants to do some things in this season. And so just as we finish, I am going to read you a word that I believe he gave me last week for his people. And he says this, surrender. Holiness and single-mindedness is what I am asking my people for. Get rid of the noise and the other things crowding me out. This season is for a surge in the things of my spirit, a time of great harvest and a time of miracles. So I need holy people with clean hearts to be focused on me and to hunger for my ways, to come up to the spiritual places, to let my presence be their resting place. Then they will see all of life as ministry and every experience as opportunity. That's what the Lord wants to do in us, his people, now. And I don't know about you, but when I, when he spoke that to me and he said, this is a season for a surge in my spirit, this is a season for miracles, I went, I want that. I want that. But you know what? He needs for us to be people of his presence, people who are holy people who who come before him every day in a confession every day with open hands, wanting to see the wonder of who he is, but clean before him in order for us to see that. It's been too long that we've looked just like everyone else. It's been too long that we have lived just like the world and they can't tell the difference. And he is going to bring us to a time and a place in this season where he is going to tell us we need to stand up for some things that are not popular to stand up for. We can skirt around the issues for a short period of time, but the time's coming where we won't be able to do that anymore. And it's going to be, where do you stand? We can't be people who are gripped by fear of men. You know what Peter's problem was? Fear of men, complacency, same things that I was. I don't know whether he hated people, but... Same issues, right? Who are we going to be? Are we going to be the people who stand for Jesus and stand up for what he says to us? Are we going to be people who actually follow him, not just
1: give lip service to it? And if so, by his own words, he says, repent so that times of refreshing will come. Repent. That's the beginning step. And then he takes us to this place of wonder and shows us the assignment that he's given for us. So
0: I wonder if you would pray with me now. In fact, I'm going to ask for you to stand. And we're going to pray, but I am actually just going to give you a few moments just to ask him yourself what it is that you need to hand to him. And then I'm going to pray for us all at the end of that. So just as you bow your heads and close your eyes now, just ask him, Lord, what is it in my heart that you want to deal with?
1: We already talked about it before. What are the relationships that are
0: off kilter? What are the attitudes and the emotions that you've been holding against somebody else that's not from the Holy Spirit? You know it's not. Where are the areas where you have denied Christ? What about the other sins in your life? Just as you're standing before him, just ask him, Lord, what do
1: you want to show me right now? And then confess it to him, say sorry,
2: and ask him for forgiveness. And in a few moments I'll pray.
1: Jesus, I thank you for the cross and I thank you that you have already done the work for us to be forgiven. It cost you everything, but it's done, which means that
0: you forgive us and you forgive us freely when we come and ask for your forgiveness. And your word says that you will cleanse us from all unrighteousness.
1: When we confess our sins to you, you are faithful to forgive us. So, Lord, we thank you for your forgiveness today.
0: And I pray, Lord, that as we have confessed to you and as you have forgiven us, Lord, I pray that you would take our sin, our
1: sins that we have confessed to you. As far as the east is from the west, never to be seen again.
0: And Lord, that today would be a new beginning, a new opportunity for us to stand with you, to give you our allegiance, to
1: give you our love. Lord, that today would be another new beginning for us as your followers, as people who have answered when you said, follow me. I pray, Lord, that as we choose to follow you, as we seek to do better, I pray that you would continue to amaze us with wonder, that you would continue to
0: inspire us, Lord, that we would be so much more in awe of who you are because of what we get to see you do. I pray, Lord, that for each of us, you would fill us afresh with your Holy Spirit, that we would go from this place full of your authority,
1: full of your joy and your grace and your goodness, but, Lord, full of your authority, Lord, that it would ooze out of us in such a compelling way to the people that we come across that they would sense your presence and they would
0: sense your Holy Spirit. I pray, Lord, that as you bring us into situations where you want to move and you want to do miraculous things, that you would build within us a courage that we could never muster up ourselves. Lord, that as you give us your authority, you would also build within us boldness, just like you did with Peter. Just like he didn't only restart and get reinstated, but that he was filled with boldness when the Holy Spirit came upon him. And it was a boldness that meant that he was fearless. Lord, I pray that you would fill us with that boldness as you fill us with your spirit too,
1: that we would be fearless for you. People who stand with you, who know you,
2: who are not dull to you, but who live with passion and integrity
1: and vision and courage, and love in a world that desperately needs to know you. Lord, use us, take us, draw us on in what you have. Help us to be people who come to you quickly to confess, to be people who live lives of repentance daily, who see it for the gift that it is,
2: because you are so good.
1: You are so good to continually bring us to that place
2: of new beginnings. We thank you for your kindness. Keep filling us right now, Lord God.
1: You are worthy of it all. You're worthy of it all. For from you are
0: all things, and to you are all things. You deserve the glory. You're worthy. You're worthy of it all. You're worthy of it all. For from you are all things, and to you are all things. You deserve the glory.
2: We honor you, Lord.
0: Amen. Thank you so much for listening. If you have any questions or feedback, please email us at hello at hoperevolution.church.